Welcome to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, I am coming to you live from WonderCon in Anaheim 2022 with cartoonist and animator Luke McGarry. Uh, it was great to again be back in front of a live audience for WonderCon. This is actually our first year coming down to WonderCon. Uh, we've always done San Diego Comic-Con. We've, of course, had live episodes from L.A. Comic-Con, from Long Beach Comic-Con. Uh, but WonderCon has never really been one that we had decided to do until this year, and it was such an honor to be a part of it. We had such a great time, and it's great to be getting back to conventions, being able to do live shows again. They're always so much fun. I was very excited to have Luke McGarry on the show as well. I've always been such a huge fan of his cartoons and his animations. He's one of my favorite accounts to follow on Instagram. Uh, we'll have that linked up for you on the website as well as in the notes to the podcast episode so you guys can give him a follow as well. And yeah, I really wanted to be able to talk to him. I, I had realized I actually owned a couple shirts that he had drawn uh, the animations for for Festival Supreme. So we talked about how he got involved with Jack Black and Kyle Glass and how all of that came together and how his entire career started. He comes from a long line um, of animators and cartoonists. Uh, also talking about the music in the band that he does with his brother. And yeah, it was a lot of fun just being able to find out more about him, about how he finds the inspiration, uh, about just the some of the crazy things that he gets in response to some of his cartoons. And yeah, it was just a great time being able to talk to him. This was a late night panel at WonderCon. Um, so a lot of people had already started to make their way across the street to Disneyland for fireworks. Uh, but we were very excited to be able to still have the amount of people that we did have in there. Whether it's a large crowd or a small crowd, it's always fun to be able to make people laugh, especially coming back from something like the, like the pandemic. And to have any type of live crowd is just, it, it's something that we're very grateful for. Uh, during these times. So a big thank you to Luke McGarry for taking the time out of his evening to be able to come and join me as the guest on this edition of the podcast. Uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, uh, San Diego Comic-Con is just a month away. Uh, I will be back to San Diego for a live edition of the podcast. Alex Watson, uh, writer-director of Bundy Manor, will be joining me as my co-host on that. Uh, you heard him on one of the last episodes. Uh, that was live from San Diego Comic-Con Special Edition back in November. Uh, so he'll be back, and we will be announcing our guests probably on the next episode. We're just trying to make sure that everything is squared away, and I'm very excited for this guest that we have coming uh, to join us for San Diego Comic-Con 2022. And we should be able to also announce the details of what date and time that'll be at. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us, supporting us, hanging on while we've kind of been on a hiatus, while we have a ton of film work going on right now. Alex and I will definitely be talking about that in San Diego because we have just had a crazy amount of work and a lot of a lot of new projects that have kind of come our way um, as Bundy Manor is getting ready to uh, hit the festival circuit. So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming, a lot of cool things to talk about. Thank you again to Luke McGarry for taking the time to join me on this episode of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. He has no name, you just have to use your imagination. <laughs> so 
So this is uh, really our first time ever meeting in person. I have followed you on social media for a while, and when I was racking my brain, who, who I knew was going to be here, that I could bring on as a guest, you were one of the first ones that popped to mind. And it's funny because when I started following your social media stuff, hey, you have a name now, you are, you are a real boy. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I actually owned a few shirts that you had designed okay. over the years for uh, Festival Supreme. Right. So when I first moved to LA, I would see the billboards and I never knew who it was. I was just like, I know I own a shirt that has that on it. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was listening to K-Rock that they had you on as a guest that you were designing stuff for April Foolishness. Right. Then that's when I became. Yeah, well that's, it's funnily enough, that's why I started kind of, um, started my social media accounts. Because, I mean, I, I had, you know, personal ones, but I started an art account right after the first Festival Supreme because so many people were going, oh, yeah, we, we were trying to figure out who the artist was behind the Festival Supreme because <laughs> we wanted to hire him for other stuff, but we had no way of finding you. It's like, oh, okay. But it started, um, you know, kind of making myself more available. <laughs> so I'm glad you did because you've done a great follow. Before we jump into too much of your career, I'm, I'm very interested in your backstory because I know you grew up in Manchester, UK. Mm. How, how much of your upbringing was in the UK before coming to the States? Well, um, we we moved back and forth a lot since I was about 18 months old. So okay. we, we born in the UK, uh, born in Manchester, and then kind of moved out here as a baby, and then moved back, and then moved back, <laughs> and back, and back, and back, and then moved from Manchester down to the south of England, down in Devon, um, and then, um, but I've officially been out here since high school, so I've been out here since I was about 15, properly. Yeah, so, you know, we, I was doing our show flyers and then other bands would be like, oh, can I do, can you do a flyer for us? You know, the music magazines would ask me to illustrate stuff and, you know, so on and so forth. And I assumed that would lead to, um, you know, people putting us on shows. <laughs> I was like, oh, you've got flyers, but we'll put you on it. And um, then they go, no. So, um, one of my clients was this big festival, FYF Fest, who got yeah. bought out by Coachella. Um, and he was like, oh great, this is my ticket onto, you know, FYF and Coachella, and then Sean, the founder of the team, no, I can't put you on to the world of nepotism. you've got to start paying me actually money. Like, why am I doing this as mate rate, you know, if there's no quid pro quo. Right. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's basically how we're going to get this machine gun onto Coachella, but it was all nepotism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were friends of the guys from Golden Boys. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> From moving back and forth so much from the UK to to Los Angeles, where did you find the most of your influence from your art? Um, well, uh, it's funny because, you know, even though I live out here, I live in a, like a completely English bubble. Like, <laughs> I only listen to English music and watch English TV and eat English candy. <laughs> so, you know, I'm totally sheltered from what's happening. But um, weirdly enough, all, all of my influences are Belgian. <laughs> yeah, it's all, um, you know, like Tintin and oh, Asterix is French, I think. But yeah, you know, um, it's, it's Tintin and Asterix are basically my big influences. <laughs> so, 
thing. Uh, I don't think there's much, um, uh, well, Viz Magazine in the UK, I think, um, entirely shaped my sense of humor, so I don't know if you're familiar with Viz. Oh, no. Oh, it's, uh, it's an absolutely filthy, it's sort of like the UK's answer to Mad Magazine. Okay. If, if Mad was disgusting and, and aimed at adults. <laughs> um, if we didn't have such prudishness in the Yeah, US. exactly. <laughs> if, if you could get away with stronger words than, you know, plots. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, if all your swearing didn't have to be Yiddish, uh, <laughs> uh, that's this. But yeah, and now I'm uh, lucky enough to be working with them on and off. Uh, oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so I've, I've conquered both sides of the Atlantic. Um, I've been working with Mad until they've fired everybody. Right. <laughs> Right before Matt had fired everybody, it was one of those jobs that popped up and I was like, this would be so much fun because I was writing so much satire at the time. And one of my friends was working over there and I was like, oh, maybe don't apply for that. Yeah. Like, okay. And then like a, about a week later, they were like, layoffs, layoffs. Yeah. I was like, why were you hiring? Yeah. <laughs> I was so confused, but. Yeah, they, um, I don't know what happened. It was crazy. It was sad. It was very sad. I grew up on that and absolutely loved it. Yeah, I am, um, because I, created two original strips for Mad, um, a, a thing called The Chances and a thing called The 27 Club. Um, I was writing and illustrating, you know, four or five pages per issue, which was so cool, because when Bill Morrison took over as editor, he's like, oh, you know, I want to get you in Mad, and I assumed you would just be doing kind of spot illustrations, mm -hmm. you know, um, that I'd have to work my way up. And, yeah, we're gonna give you five pages for oh, me to do what you want. It's amazing. Um, but then, you know, when they, they got rid of everybody, I think I was one of the, the first to be let go because I was taking up so much space and costing me so much money. I'm like, we'll keep the, you know, like single gag guys for a bit. Um, but they just had me pitch something else. So I, you know, kind of went through all this rigmarole. And kind of, so I was really annoyed with them and made my displeasure. And they gave me all the rights back to everything I did. Which, oh, wow. which is unheard of. Yeah, it's unheard of. Because I, 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 yeah, I was fired before we knew that the magazine was basically sinking ship. So they were like, oh, we're so sorry, like, we, you know, by way of apology, like, we, we hope you might want to do something with us in the future. And then a month later, there was no future. Yeah. But I got my rights back, yeah, so. Yeah, that's, it's crazy that they were nice enough to do that. I mean, so many of them, even when they know, like, yeah. they're sinking ship, they're still like, but that's ours. Like, yes. We don't care you did it, it's ours. Yeah. <laughs> When, when you were younger, did you aspire to be an illustrator and cartoonist? Or was that always what your plan was from the get-go? Well, yeah. Um, my uh, my dad is a cartoonist as well. Um, and so growing up, all of his friends were cartoonists. Every adult I knew was a cartoonist. So I just assumed that that's what we did when we grew up. <laughs> um, and it, it wasn't until I started school and you find people like, oh, my dad manages a supermarket. You know, my right. dad is an accountant. Or, we, they don't just sit at home all day in their underpants, you know, just drawing, <laughs> drawing cartoons. Um, so yeah, that's basically I've been drawing for as long as I can remember, and that's just what I assumed you were meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always so envious when I hear those yeah, yeah. stories. I mean, my, dad, my dad's an attorney, and it was like everybody within like the neighborhood I grew up in, like they were attorneys, they worked in tech, or yeah. 
they had some kind of job like that, and like my brother's a dentist, one's a doctor, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna write comedy. Yeah. And they're like, that's not a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I, I think my parents would have been disappointed if I tried to get a job that would actually help people. You know, like, oh, you want to be a, a doctor or you know, a veterinarian? No. <laughs> you write jokes and you draw them. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that never would have flown through. <laughs> yeah, it still doesn't. So I can, I'll get something like on TV, and they're like, "That was great." Now, what are you going to do for a career? I'm like, "On the Tonight Show." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what more can you ask for? Yeah. <laughs> so as as you started, you know, from a young age, what was the first uh, illustration or comic that you had that started to really spur a career? Uh, the well, again, um, it was. You know, just sort of bits and pieces for the local music magazines and stuff. Um, and I remember it was very all its time, I think in like 2003 or whatever, but the first professional gig I got was um, a show poster for this band called Bad Dudes um, <laughs> in, out of Costa Mesa. And uh, it was just a drawing of a, um, a robot humping a tiger. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was it. Yeah, that's what started my career. <laughs> yeah, that's like the most 2003 kind of show <laughs> you can think of. <laughs> it's, it, it's like something that Ed Hardy would have later ripped off to put on a bedazzled hat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very intrigued by your process because as long as I've been following you on social media, you churn stuff out so fast that is so on the pulse. Right. What is, I, I can tell there's a lot of discipline in there. What is your process of generating a new comic basically every day and being able to stay just so grounded with yeah, what's happening? That is why um, I started the Instagram sort of that I've been doing for God knows how many years now, but um, it was to do a drawing every single day, like a new drawing every day. And for the most part, I managed to do that for like seven years. <laughs> a new drawing every single day. Um, but yeah. Basically, that's my process is um, get up around 9 and 10, watch the news, do a cartoon either based on the news or uh, something I thought of while I was falling asleep the night before, and then um, that's usually done by like 2 in the afternoon and post it, but then I do real work until I go to sleep at 3 or 4 in the morning and start all over again. Yeah. It's amazing that you can watch the current news cycle and then just turn around and write a funny cartoon. Yeah, well, uh, it, was, it was, a lot easier when Trump was in, because he'd just go, oh man, Trump's so stupid, look at his hair, look at how bad his hair is. <laughs> and that was basically the joke, yeah. <laughs> the ones you did though during that time, I love that you would, it was like you took just the base of just how childish so much of it was, and then found a way to just like bring it right below that even more. Exactly, yeah. And it would kill me every time. <laughs> yeah, it was, my goal was just to get angry comments. <laughs> Boy, did I succeed. Um, to the point where one of my cartoons got shared on um, that Tim Pool guy. Uh, oh. Yeah, it got shared on his video podcast thing. And I was getting death threats and, oh, and like, people trying to hack into my stuff. You know. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, yeah, so it, um, you know, from one angle, that is a measure of success. Yes. <laughs> the other, it's like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm not even getting paid for these Instagram cartoons. <laughs> so, you know. It's, it's fun to let those type of comments roll in when I first started writing satire. I would love to actually 
quote, like just copy and paste a quote from somebody, and then watch how that would later spark outrage when somebody would share like an article on Reddit. Yeah. And then names would get called, and can you believe the way that he just made this up? Like, I copy and paste it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, boy oh boy. <laughs> There's an eloquent, eloquent quote, well you can quote me on that. <laughs> boy oh boy. So now, I, I think one of the biggest hits that you've had that I know resonates with a lot of people, even when I announced that you were coming on, several people uh, that I work with were like, oh yeah, I've seen Sad Chewy. Right. Was Sad Chewy just an immediate inspiration after watching Star Wars, or how, how did that come about? Well, it was funny because um, I, I did it initially for um, the, the company Secret Deluxe. Mm -hmm. Edgy media company, um, but uh, the, the my editor there, Jason, um, messaged me right after the Star Wars movie came out, and I was excited about seeing it. He said, um, "Hey, yeah, you should do something about how Han Solo dies," <laughs> <laughs> and just ruined it for everybody. He's like, "But you ruined it for me. Like, I haven't seen the movie yet." So, oh, no. <laughs> so I went to see it that night and came up inside Chewie and started doing this thing. Like, it would just be funny to do the same joke every time. <laughs> If you haven't seen Sanchu, it's just Chewbacca being sad that Han Solo died. But it, it, it is literally the same joke with, you know, kind of a different setup, but the same punchline every week. Uh, and the goal was to have it be annoying because people, it was spoiling the movie for people. And then funny because it's the same joke every yeah. week. And then annoying because it's the same joke every <laughs> week. And then kind of background to being funny again because it was just always the exact same thing. You know? It, it's the great rule of three, and then you just watch everybody stay confused for a while, and yeah. then it just gets funnier as it goes, yeah. so it, it plays well. Yeah, it ended up being the, the rule of 33 or something, yeah. <laughs> just keep doing it forever. Now, like I said, when I started discovering who you were, it was because of K-Rock. And I kind of laughed at you because my wife and I were driving down here because we were listening to Ally Bean's podcast, which you designed there. Right, yeah. Uh, well, how did, uh, did K-Rock start getting involved with you for everything? Um, well, it's funny because uh, it's initially it came through uh, our band. Once again, our band is called Pop Noir, <laughs> uh, and uh, we played a couple shows. And Dave, the producer of Kevin and Bean, had been at the shows and was a, a I don't want to say a fan, but he liked <laughs> our band. He was complimentary of the band. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I sort of had an in with Kevin and Bean. And then it really did come through Sad Chewy. I think it was Ali had just seen it and brought it up on the radio one morning. And that is right up to Ali's wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and through that, they kind of passed my name around. And then I ended up meeting them. Oh, they asked me to come do, um, like, speak on their morning show when they were broadcasting from Comic Con. They were like, oh, come by it some morning. We're here, you know, meet everybody, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, and then I said to Dave, oh yeah, you used to come back. I said, oh, I didn't even realize that was you. Like, you know, I didn't know how to get there. Um, but yeah, then, um, you know, it was like, oh, this guy's, you know, a, a cool man, and he does this funny cartoon, and we just kind of all hit it off, sort of. And it was cool because I grew up when we were out here. <laughs> In between moving back and forth from the UK and here, whenever we were out here, I'd be listening to um, Kevin and Bean on the way to school, so it was really cool to be working. And then, yeah, they just started using me for a handful of things, and it was, it was really fun. And then, yeah, when, when that all went down, it, um, 
And I've also done work with um, Jensen, too, who came on from, oh, yeah. uh, towards the end of um, to be in Spartans with our performance. Anyway, yeah, so I sort of knew all of them from different places. And um, yeah, uh, and then when Bean and Ali started their new podcast, they both hit me up um, separately. Oh, we want to, you know, I'm doing a new podcast, one of these designs the logo. But Bean said, me and Ali are doing a podcast, but before that, I got a message from Ali where she'd accidentally but it was a typo, and it said, I'm doing a podcast with a bear. <laughs> and I think I might have ignored her message because I was confused. She's like, do you want to draw? I'm doing a podcast with a bear. Do you want to? Like, oh, okay. And then Bean messages me. Damn, how many podcasts is Ali doing? She's doing one with Bean. And one with a bear. bear. And, and, if you, and if you know Ali's dream is to die by having a bear. <laughs> so that would have just made sense for a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's a one episode. It's a one episode like podcast. It's a very hard documentary. <laughs> so with, with Pop Noir, how, how long have you guys been a band? Uh, yeah, we, we started in high school, so, um, you know, a good few years. But it's been sort of on and off. Like, we've never, you know, the band has never broken up. But then you get, you know, uh, waylaid by, I'll get, you know, an animation project. And mm -hmm. like, you know, oh, Tenacious D want you to write and direct a bunch of commercials for Geico. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. So you know, we'll put the band on hold for you know six months. This right. month, I do this. Um, uh, and you know, uh, my brother works with me on all my animation stuff, and uh, he's a web designer and programmer in his own right, and does other musical projects and stuff. So it's like, you know, it's always there, but you kind of get, um, you know, waylaid by things. Uh, and it's funny though, because <laughs> music was our plan A, and then it kind of, you know, art stuff became, was plan B, and that became plan A, but both of them are A and B, music industry, which is collapsing. Right. <laughs> and then, oh, I have to be a cartoonist and get in newspapers, you know? <laughs> yeah, both, both real, I, maybe I should have been a lawyer or something. Yeah. <laughs> dying industries that I'm trying to break my way into at the end. Yeah, when, when I started going to film school, I remember it was everybody that was like, um, you know people don't go to theaters anymore. Like, someone's going to make the streaming crap too. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so much more of that. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Have you guys released an album or anything yet? No, it's been on a series of singles. Uh, so we've just been kind of releasing singles and EPs here and there. Um, just kind of having fun with it and kind of, and people ask whether we toured and stuff too and it's like we've never done the kind of pile in a van and go play in you know the Dakotas <laughs> nobody so we do kind of select shows we'll play in like you know the, the UK and we'll do you know Paris and stuff um, uh, did a show in China which was a lot of fun but um, yeah so you know we kind of pick and choose it's like we just do sort of what pleases us <laughs> nothing we don't want to do it's nice to have that freedom, though, when you're when you have so many projects. It's like, yeah, we'll go tour yeah, the exactly. UK and Paris later yeah. on <laughs> when we feel like it. Exactly. <laughs> we can work with tenacious D on the other yeah. one. <laughs> How did? Because like I said, Festival Supreme was was the first piece of your art that that I acquired. How did that relationship come about with with Jack and Kyle? Um, yeah, well, that was um, that one's an interesting story. Um, that, so I was working with FYF Fest, um, and it was sort of right
So I said, well, you either need to pay us or part of Office Festival, or you just need to pay me or I'll stop doing it. And um, uh, <laughs> Sean, the guy, said, I feel like you're taking advantage of our relationship. And he's like, how am I taking advantage of us? <laughs> and so um, words were exchanged. I don't know whether I can swear on your podcast. <laughs> it, it's more of swearing at WonderCon. Yeah. Swear to my podcast, by all means. We told him to uh, take that job and shove it. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't work with FYF very yet, but then they got Mara, my golden voice, and sort of the, the guy that did the poster for them, I, I don't know who did it, so I, I hope it's not something I'm friends with now, but basically he did a poster and it had like fish on it. and. Um, this is a festival in downtown LA in a park, nowhere near the ocean. Right. <laughs> and so they came back to us a year later and they're like, what about our festival makes people think we want fish on the poster? Like, we need to get you back in. We're sorry that things didn't work out last time. And by way of apology, let us send you on the Coachella cruise. So oh, wow. Coachella had, for one year, did this big festival with like Pulp and Hot Chip and Grimes and um, a handful of other bands, like really cool bands all on just this big cruise ship, and nobody bought tickets, so it was all guest list industry people. It was like a, a dream <laughs> ticket for an up-and-coming band. It's like just, you know, five days at sea, yeah. getting drunk and hobnobbing with people on the cruise ship. <laughs> um, so they gave us a cabin on that, and um, we just had a lot of time. But on the flight out there, I was with, um, I met the, these two people, and they were the, uh, the owners of Spaceland, so um, the Echo, Echo Flights, basically all the cool venues yeah. in LA. And uh, they're like, wait, are you the guy that told Sean to fuck off? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. We are doing a festival, or we're doing a big show at the Santa Monica Pier. Um, would you do the artwork for it? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I did that, and then it just so happened that sort of the, the week before that show that they were doing, uh, Jack and Kyle from Tenacious D were touring the Santa Monica Pier looking for locations to do their festival. And they just saw my artwork uh, on one of the posters and said, oh, this guy's works great. Let's just get him to do our festival poster. <laughs> and so it was just kind of really a right time, right place. And then um, I met them and we all hit it off because we all had um, such a childish sense of humor. Um, the initial poster for Festival Supreme was a big um, roller coaster. It was based on the Santa Monica Pier roller coaster, but through you know the the visual medium of um, art, I uh, I'm good with words. I mean, it's been a long time. <laughs> um, basically, I made it look like a dick. I hit a dick on the coaster, and uh, and Jack and Kyle loved it. They thought it was the funniest thing in the world. But we got a cease and desist letter from the city of Santa Monica. Jack Black on the penis ride <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so uh, I, that was the best thing to me. And I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry guys, I got in trouble. Like, Are you kidding? This is so funny. Let's hide more penises in the new poster. <laughs> uh, but the, the specific, then we got more emails from Santa Monica saying, if we see another Alex symbol, Anyway, at this festival, we will shut it down. Even day off, even halfway through the festival, we will come there and shut it down. 
And so Jack and Kyle were like, okay, look, you've got to hide them in the backdrops of the stage. And <laughs> if you look at any of the photos of the thing, everything is buried. Like, for some reason, I mean, I've not seen a lot of baby palm trees with like coconuts hanging off them. But uh, yeah, if you look, um, you know, they weren't photorealistic palm trees. But yeah, we just hid stuff everywhere. And um, yeah, we really hit off. So then I worked with them for the next four or five years, however many years, Festival Supreme. Yeah, you did all of them. Yeah, I did all of them. And all of the stage backdrops and everything. Like, it was so much fun to work with them. But yeah, because they were just as immature as I was. In fact, more so. They were, <laughs> they were risking getting their you know, huge investment canceled day long. That's one festival that I just really, really wish would come back because 2016 was the last one. And if you guys have never been to Festival Supreme, it's I don't really know. It's like Comic Con meets the greatest comedy show yeah. you could ever imagine. It's just a bunch of nonsense for twelve hours. Yeah, just and, yeah. and it's it's so intimate, especially when it's at the shrine, that you're walking around and you've got Weird Al who just comes and stands next to you to watch whoever's on stage. And I, I had at one point Garfunkel and Oates and Weird Al just standing behind me, and I was just like, I think I died. Yeah. I don't, I, none of this is real. Yeah. It, it was, I, I just, my wife and I were watching them scream the other night, and my mom is still mad at me to this day because they had the music from White Hot American Summer at the last one. Right. And I was standing next to David Arquette the entire time, talking with him, joking with him, could not for the life of me remember what his name was. Yeah. Just like, I know this guy is in movies. Yeah. And it wasn't until like he left and some guy comes up and he's like, how do you know David Arquette? I was just like, son of a bitch. That's who that was. <laughs> David, David, David Arquette's, um, I've only, I interacted with him once because my brother and I were walking down the Sunset Strip uh, at like 11 o'clock at night and we just ran into him. <laughs> and he's like, hey guys, what are you doing right now? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, he was missing a tooth. <laughs> he was missing his front tooth. And he's like, you guys should come to my club. Like, and so he, we just ended up in the VIP at Bootsy Bellows. <laughs> and kind of like making sure we had drinks and like, oh guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, see, it was just so weird, just out of nowhere. And I don't know whether we thought we were somebody else or, or what. That's what would be better Sunset Strip stories. It would usually be like, I saw a drunken Ron Jeremy on the Sunset yeah. Strip or Andy Dick out of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think know if I've told the story on the podcast before. Yes, I had to one time fight off a drunken Andy Dick from getting to Russell Brand. Well, that's, that's, um, that's Hollywood, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a meltdown back in the day when, when the Nerd Mountain, which I know you did some of the meltdown posters for Jack. Yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I did one um, because uh, my friend Dave Clark did. Yeah, I love Dave. Yeah, nice guy. Well, it's funny because he said, um, can you fill in for me this week because I'm too busy? You know, and I was like, yeah. Absolutely. And then he still silk screened all the posters. Sorry. He's like, oh, can you get me out? And then he's there and shows up. What were you busy with then? Because you spent, you know, 12 hours in a sweaty garage screen printing all these things still. So I don't know. But Dave's uh, Dave's one of the busiest guys in the world. I'm always shocked when I see. It's like he'll just kind of disappear for a bit. And he's like, yeah, he's doing all this for Childish Gambino and Fish. And it's just like, yeah. Where? How? Yeah. <laughs> but I still see him every week at a King's game. game. You <laughs> chicken sandwich. Yeah. So what, what do you kind of see coming next? I mean, I know that you're always doing the daily comics. Do you have like any, any 
big goals set for where you're trying to drive your illustration? Yeah, well, I'm working on a handful of kind of top secret projects right now for a few different people, but um, I just uh, in November put out the first issue of my own comic, Palava, Luki Nagari's Palava. Um, and the goal was to do one of those, to make that a quarterly magazine, but then I got too busy. But luckily, I built in the tagline, um, the, the comic with the release schedule is unpredictable as its content. <laughs> um, so I covered my ass there. Uh, <laughs> it might come out once a year, it might come out every four years, who knows? You've got to leave them waiting, that's, exactly. the, that's the whole thing. Um, but yeah, so uh, working on more issues of Balava, uh, I'm working on I've got a couple of kind of TV pitches brewing and I'm talking to a couple of people about that sort of stuff. Um, uh, what else? I'm working on a, a children's book right now. I'm, I'm basically doing everything, um, just keeping busy, you know. I've got a million ideas and I'm just doing them all rather than going, oh, it'd be fun to do that one. Yeah. Um, which is sort of a, an ethos I try and follow is, you know, instead of going, it'd be funny to do this, you just do it. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with all of the creations that you've had, do you have a particular one? I mean, they're, I know they're all they're all your baby, but is there is there a particular one that is your favorite? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it varies. Uh, I think my favorite thing that um, I've ever drawn was uh, the Texasist, which I, <laughs> which I love so much, <laughs> but which kind of blew up in a way I wasn't expecting because I came up with it. Um, just, you know, in the back of somebody's car, like, we were just driving, <laughs> just like a ride somewhere, and I thought, oh, that, that's a funny idea. But I held on to it for about six months. It was just in my drafts, in my phone as an idea, because I didn't think it was, I thought it was funny. I was like, nobody's gonna like that. And then I posted it, and it blew up, and, you know, people were getting tattoos all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't believe the sort of impact that that had. Um, so yeah, that's one of my favorite things that I've done. I don't know how I spin that into anything. It's, well, I mean, I guess it's, it's ripe for its spinning yeah. and stuff. It's like cowboy exorcist, you know. It, it doesn't <laughs> need anything more. It's perfect, yeah, exactly. perfect as it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it would only ruin it to add context or backstory or whatever. It is what you make of it, yeah. If there, if there is one of your recent ones that I would love to see you expand, is the Winnie the Pooh one that you recently did. Right. That was <laughs> funny, yeah. So, it, for people that haven't seen it, it was basically the, the you know, um, the copyright on uh, Winnie the Pooh has expired, or Disney's copyright. And I posited in a cartoon that then, um, oh no, Disney still have the copyright? I can't remember. Oh, the, the original story, the A.A. Milne story is what the, the, you know, it's now in the public domain. Um, but Disney owned their version, so it was my theory that if you don't put Winnie the Pooh in a red shirt, you can do whatever you want with them. Um, so I did a comic about that where it's just this naked, weird Pooh <laughs> But that was funny because that blew up again in a way I hadn't expected. Because I didn't think people would really be paying attention to, you know, public domain laws. <laughs> but then I was suddenly getting hit up and interviewed all over the place, like even on Australian breakfast radio as this sort of American expert on copyright law. <laughs> Guys, I don't think anything I'm saying here is going to hold up in court. But yeah, was, um, you know, so nobody should listen to me for legal advice, you know, certainly when it comes to, to taking down Disney. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was getting interviewed all over the place. Um, yeah, and I had no idea what I was talking about. There's, there's going to be all of these international companies that are going to be like, we've learned. Yeah. 
from Luke McGarry, yeah. expert in the it's U.S. The copyright <laughs> lawyer, Luke McGarry, greatest legal mind of his time, um, has advised us, yeah. <laughs> there is a ton of their attorneys are going to be like, now it seems that this advice came from this card too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you plan to do any any publishing of all of your cartoons at all? Because I know I personally love just like a full book of all of them. Yeah, well it's uh, it's funny because I have, um, <laughs> I pitched that, uh, I got a book deal right before um, COVID hit, um, or a book agent, I got a publishing agent, uh, and all of my ideas, they were like, yeah, absolutely, let's go for it, you know, people are going to love this. And then COVID hit, and they were trying to pitch the book, and every publisher was going, I don't even think books are going to exist anymore. Certainly not bookstores. Like, I don't know. Why. We're not going to take any chances. We don't know what we're going to do. People are sitting at home. What else yeah. could they be doing? But yeah, everything's <laughs> like, oh, we're not taking any chances on anything. But one of the things I pitched was, wouldn't it be cool to do a book of all of my Instagram cartoons? <laughs> my agent went, how many followers do you have on Instagram? And I went, about 60,000, and they're like, yeah, there's no interest in that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that's been on the back burner, but yes, I would like to release um, a, a, a retrospective of some of my work, but um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'd like to do it, but I'm always sort of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, the cartoonist Johnny Samson, who now does the fold-in for that magazine. Um, I've seen some. Yeah, so he took over from Al Jaffe. But um, I was at uh, CTE2 in Chicago with him, and there was some book of unpublished internet chunk cartoons. Um, and he's going, I don't know why anybody would want a book of Trump stuff, let alone ones that hadn't been published anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I just want to look back on this, you know? But it wasn't even like, oh, this was on the front page of the Los Angeles Times, you know, just right. some weird cartoons about Trump. So that's always. Part of that always kind of nags at me, going, oh yeah, who want a weird book of my Instagram cartoon? Whereas even there's some stuff that even I won't repost because it's like, oh, this was very specific to a one-day news cycle five years ago. Like, even <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about, you know. So we'll see. But yeah, I thought I'd love to maybe the best of. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because I'm sure every artist has that where they're just like, who wants all of my old? Yeah. And it's like I still will go and find on eBay and stuff, the old Matt Groening, the life and hell, like the original books. Right. The people are selling for like five bucks, but I think they're like, why do I want this old? Yeah. But it's like, I love having all the old life and hell. Yeah. So like, even Alex Party, like, he's really some of his old right. books, and it's like, I scoop it every one of them yeah. up. Because I'm just like, no, this is why I followed this person, yeah. is because of all of Okay, well, so I'm guaranteed <laughs> one sale. Yeah, one Maybe sale. Maybe they will make a big sure yeah. invest <laughs> all of that, because you're guaranteed Some of the designs you've had, you've done like the Sergeant Pepper's Seinfeld one, you've done uh, the Sweden Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> it, are there any particular uh, pop culture uh, shows or movies that you've wanted to create something with, but you haven't quite ventured it out there knowing that there are some of the insane fandoms? Yeah, I, I mean, I sort of, I've done the ones I, I really feel strongly about because I've done the sign I've done a few Seinfeld things and um, I've done uh, 
Frasier. I did Fra the cast of Frasier as the last oh, one. Right. Um, but those are the things that I watch, you know, sort of religiously over and over again. And people are like, oh, you should do something with Friends or Doctor Who or you know, one of it. Like, I think people would see through it that I don't, you know, particularly care about those. Yeah. You know, so it's like I, I try to do stuff that's, um, you know, honest to me. That said, I mean, I should do a piece on uh, Peep Show because that's my absolute <laughs> I actually have, I did, um, for LA Record Magazine, they did, because um, they're as obsessed with Peep Show as I am, and for this series finale, they had me do a two-page spread illustration that I just threw in every single reference, you know, in the show. But their article was just um, a list of the uh, felonies Mark and Jez from Peep Show had committed throughout the season. Because they never face any repercussions right. or anything, you know, they're just two guys. But almost every episode they commit some sort of horrific crime, be it like, you know, kidnapping or kicking a dog to death, <laughs> or barbecuing a dog and eating it, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, maybe I'll do a, a bigger Peep Show piece. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to see it. For all of the uh, aspiring artists and cartoonists out there, what advice would you have for them to be able to kind of find their way where it seems like, especially with social media and all the different avenues, how, how would you suggest that they find a way to break in to such a flooded marketplace? I think, um, and I mean, it sounds kind of um, trite, <laughs> sounds hokey, but I think you, A, you just have to do it. You just have to get your work out there. You just need to start posting it. But B, I think you can't try and find an audience. Like you can't do something that will you think will appeal to people and bring them in. I think you have to kind of do something that feels true to yourself. Stuff that you're interested in and you find funny. And other, you know, the internet is so big that other oddballs will find you people that right. find the same stuff funny <laughs> and have the same interest as you. Like my page when I first started, it was all just kind of puns about uh, Game of Four and, you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, television and stuff, uh, all, you know, all the kind of post-punk bands mm -hmm. um, and just stupid, just stupid jokes. But yeah, it sort of built up a following. I sort of got too known for puns, which I still really enjoy, but now I try and avoid puns in <laughs> my work. Uh, it's not mean everything I do is, every title is a pun, <laughs> but I try to avoid, you know, like, You know, Jared, instead of Jared Leto, it would be well, Jared Leto, and he hosts the late night show. You know, like, that's the type of shit I would do. The very humor late night show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, worst, the worst late night show. Um, so I try to avoid stuff like that now, but, you know, there's still room for a little bit of it. But yeah, I think you just kind of do what you find funny and feels authentic to you, because otherwise people can see through it, I think. Yeah, the, the authenticity is, I think, the most important. I, I know during the summer, Last year, I was part of a writing, a little writing room group where we were all pitching new pilots and going through a writer's circle for it. And one of my pitch, as everybody's bouncing ideas, I was like, none of this feels like me, but everybody kept honing in on that area. And I was like, fine, I'm going to just listen to the room. Yeah. And that's what I mean, when we, after we did a bunch of table reads, everyone was like, why did you do that? I'm like, because you have all told me to. That's yeah. not what I wanted to write. And when I rewrote it, then people were like, oh yeah, that's what I was like, yeah, because that's, yeah, that's what was my voice. Like, yeah, I was trying to write something that's not me. It was yeah. what you guys thought you wanted. Yeah. 
Awesome. I, I sort of, I kind of reply to that, like, I mean, yeah, say you had to write a joke about Jared Leto being <laughs> Jay Leto's style. <laughs> you still find your angle. Like, um, uh, I, you, you could extrapolate on this, but um, I was explaining to somebody, somebody's like, well, how do you kind of just draw stuff so confidently, you know? Like, because I do, at Comic Cons, I do these, you know, lightning fast caricatures, and yeah. I'll draw you while you sit there, and it takes like two minutes. Um, and uh, A, you have to be a kind of prick and go, well, I'm Luke McGarry, and people are lucky to get a drawing from me. <laughs> you have to t lie to yourself and yeah. tell yourself that. But B, it's like, I can't draw voices, so it's like, this is how I draw a voice. You know what I mean? Like, you have to find your angle and go, well, this is my signature style of drawing voices. It doesn't matter that it doesn't look anything like right. voice, you know, it's like, this is how I draw voices. And you're lucky to get my version of this. <laughs> but and then it kind of becomes that. It's like people come to you because they're like, I, I love the way you draw horses. You know, they're so bad that I, I must have them <laughs> tattooed on myself. And go, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I envy that confidence when it comes to drawing because I can't draw anything. Well, that's so it. A, a stick figure that I draw looks like it was maimed in a terrible accident. But, but that's <laughs> it. That's your niche. <laughs> you found it. Yeah. You, you just gotta go with that. They're lucky to get your main <laughs> My main stick for person. <laughs> so as you travel around to all the different conventions, I know you do a lot of them, have there been any artists that that you've met over time that have been inspirations to you that you didn't expect to hear? Um, it's a tricky one because, again, with my dad being a cartoonist and being a member of the um, National Cartoonist Society, which was you know, every premier cartoonist, uh, certainly every American cartoonist, like I grew up with, you know, uh, Sparky Schultz was at cocktail bar, yeah. you know, like everybody you could ever hope to be, I've known since I was a kid, you know, or no, not like had sort of an access to. Right. So it, it's weird to be meeting an artist because it, it's not, like, oh my god, this is my idol. It's like, oh yeah, it's another cartoonist, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it's, uh, you know, uh, there's people whose work I think is really cool, but there's not really been like, oh my god, I can't believe I met him. It's like, oh hey, it's that guy that did something cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, which I think is a healthy sort of attitude, but... Um, yeah, everybody's just another person doing it. Yeah, <laughs> but I do wish I wasn't so jaded about everything. <laughs> I wish there was some room for joy and excitement in my life. <laughs> so for the few audience members we do have, do you guys have any questions for you over here? No. <laughs> They're just like, no, we're just politely here because we need a place to yeah. sit with air conditioning before yeah. the Disney fireworks. We're, we're just here because we didn't we thought this was a quiet room and now we're too ashamed to <laughs> disturb you. It used to be great because on the outside, when it would list all the panels, they would put my name on it. And so people would see Tim Drake and they'd be like, there's a Batman panel going on? <laughs> and we'd show up sometimes and there would be, you would see the people in their Batman shirts. And as soon as we'd sit down, they'd be like, this is just some jackass from Los Angeles. This has nothing to do with Batman. And you'd watch a like, handful of people just go walking out of the room. Like, nope, I understand. I understand. <laughs> but then you bring out the real Tim Drake from Screen. Yeah. It was all over us the whole time. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time, especially so last minute, yes. to be able to come up and do this. So like I, like I mentioned to you, you were somebody I had in the back of my mind is that I wanted to have on when I started to 
figure out who you were and yeah. where the next numbers stop. Well, I mean, in, in no world would I be anybody's first choice for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So, but you were on the list. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was on the list, and that's all. <laughs> so, again, thank you so much for taking that time, and I hope that the rest of the WonderCon continues to go well for you. What booth are you at again? Uh, Those are in here. 1408. 1408. Yeah. Easy to find, it's right. Uh, and the Texas shirts are there, so people Texas, can get the Texas shirts. Texas shirts, yeah. Um, they, they sell them fast. You, you better get on them. Yeah, it's, it's a great Go on and get on them. That's what I'd say. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Luke. Thank you for having me. <laughs>